This podcast primarily discusses DMB music as the ties that bind our DMB family together. Typical full-length episodes feature a DMB history by year, an interview with someone in the DMB family, and closes with either a personal story from the host or Song of the Week feature where you, the listener, can have a voice on the podcast. This podcast aims to shine a light on the commonality through the music we all know and love. We strive to bring like-minded people closer as a community by being kind, always, no matter. So in the spirit of the DMB song PNP, come and relax now, put your troubles down. There's no need to bear the weight of your worries, let them all fall away. Welcome to the best of what's around. Welcome to DMB On Demand. So our guest today is Mary Jane. Uh, she's Sam's husband. Sam was a, a guest that we've had on here pro- or recorded prior. Uh, these episodes will probably come out around the same time. So you may have just heard Sam's. Uh, he recorded it about a week or two ago. Uh, she's been through some tremendous ups and downs with DMB playing a vital soundtrack through most of the events. Uh, she's honestly been through some things that I can't even comprehend. And then she's also experienced some other things that I find very relatable. And before I picked out, before I decided to interview Mary Jane, I had the idea of what I wanted to do for my next episode for the closing story. And You'll hear later on after we do the interview just how intertwined certain themes of our own story and our own history are. And it was completely unprepared, uh, just happenstance. But that's what we're trying to uncover and explore here is the commonality we have with the music as our soundtrack. So... One other note before we jump into the interview, we're also going to be having uh, Sam and Mary Jane come back for our first three-person interview, where we're going to sit down and pick a song and dissect it line by line and explain what the lyrics mean to us and, and how we apply those lyrics to our everyday life. So that'll be coming up soon. Keep Keep your eyes open for more announcements on our first three-person interview. That being said, let's jump right into it. Mary Jane, thank you for coming on. And uh, why don't we just start by kind of rounding out who you are as a person, you know, what you do for a living, your interests, hobbies, things like that. Just introduce yourself to the people. Um, I am... um... I am, I guess, a teacher by trade, uh, which is very interesting during these times. I was a classroom teacher for six and a half years, and then I 
left the classroom and uh, switched districts. And I'm now, I guess a, they call it an instructional specialist. So I support uh, teachers in grades kinder first and second. I have a group of teachers in the same area. Four days a week, I travel around and I go to their classrooms and I observe and then, you know, we'll meet and I tell them, you know, what I think they can improve on or answer any questions they have. A lot of times I help with behavior management and I've, I've done that for the last two years. I've been able to keep the same schools, the same teachers, the same principals, and it's been fantastic. Um, and that's, as we just had a meeting this morning and that's changing again for next year. So <laughs> I don't even know what my job will look like for next year. Um, but I, uh, unlike a classroom teacher, I do work year round. So it's been interesting doing that from home, writing professional development, delivering professional development over Zoom calls and Google Meets. And I've learned a whole bunch about different ways to virtually see people. Um, and in my spare time, I usually am spent carding our 14-year-old son around to whatever he's doing, whether it's band or football or basketball or track or school um we are i'm usually just his chauffeur and if i ever do get some time at home i love to do anything craft related i have a cricket i make different t-shirts um i've actually sold quite a bit of stuff at at work i did some shadow boxes um I did a really neat shadow box for um, the guy I work with for him and his wife's anniversary. So it gives me that release that I need, that creative release. And I crochet and cross stitch and I knit. And I love to read. If I'm not reading a book, I'm usually listening to a book. So I just stay busy. <laughs> wow, it sounds like it. Um, Mary Jane and I spoke yesterday and talked about, you know, her job and as it relates to the story that I shared the week before about my, um, third grade year, how I spent my third grade year. Uh, if you haven't heard it, go back and listen to episode eight. <clears throat> and at the end, I talk about what happened through that whole school year, my isolation and now, we were talking yesterday, I would have loved for somebody like Mary Jane to have come into the classroom and kind of stopped what was going on. Uh, so I have I have nothing but complete and personal driven respect for what you do uh, for a living. So uh, with that being said, we'll kind of navigate into the music now. Can you tell me what song first made you a fan kind of you know locked you into the fandom and um when was that how long have you been a fan for so uh, i graduated from high school in 97 so dave matthews band was um semi-popular i'd heard it it had been on the radio i enjoyed the music and in 2002, I met Sam. Um, 
in an AOL chat room and his his name was Ryman Reason 614. Um, so obviously we talked about Dave Matthews. I did recognize that. And um, after we started dating, he, I think I bought the Busted Stuff album for him because it came out. I don't remember how it worked. It was a very long time ago. But we listened to it together and I heard Gray Street and that was just, that was it for me. I was like, I need to hear more music like this. And um, 18 years later, I can still listen to Gray Street on repeat. So that was, that was it for me was Gray Street and that album. So briefly, I'm curious, um, I'm sure it changes every time you listen to it, but overall, what is what does the song Gray Street mean for you personally? It's it's just well, first of all, my favorite um, version of Gray Street is the acoustic version with the third verse. So I just it's so raw, and I. I just, I love just the guitar and Dave singing it, but, um, the, it just, to me, it, it just speaks to somebody that is broken and just doesn't think that anybody hears them or understands them and, you know, the, the lyric she prays to God most every night, and though she swears he doesn't listen, there's still a hope in her he might. I mean, it's just, I've had such terrible things, so much trauma that I've experienced. Um, and there were times that I felt like that. And this was at the beginning of, of our relationship, so I didn't want, you know, to explain to my then boyfriend um, that I'd had all these traumatic things happened to me at a young age and um but I just when I heard that because I felt so invisible for so long and that nobody understood I just felt like somebody out there understood and every time I hear it it's just a different thing that I'm going through whether it's my job and you know as a teacher you you get um, you get a, a one compliment. Oh, you, you taught that lesson really well. But next time, could you do this and this and this and this? So it's a, always a, a, a praise, but with a list of things you did wrong. And you just, you feel like nobody ever sees that it's, it's not good enough. You know, I can get 19 out of 20 kids to read and I'm not praised for getting 19 out of 20 kids to read. I'm put down for that one child not reading. And, and then I started my new job and it's completely different. And so when I reflect back on the song, I'm like, you know, I really, when I went to switch jobs and switch districts, I prayed that I was going to be in a different situation. And my, my boss for like the first six months was like, why do you look at me funny every time I pay you a compliment? I said, cause I'm waiting for you to tell me what I did wrong. And so 
you know, I don't even have to be sad when I listen to that song. I can just see how it relates to everything in my life. That makes sense. So every time I interview with somebody, I listen to their replies and inevitably at one point they name the episode. I don't know what the episode is going to be named before we record. It happens organically during the interview. And uh, for this particular episode, you just did it. When you said somebody out there understood, um, that that sentiment is the absolute definition of what we're trying to do here. If somebody listens to this podcast and feels like somebody understood then I'm completely satisfied, um, especially if somebody's going through something low, whether it be emotional or mental health issues. To feel like somebody out there understands is an amazing warm blanket to wrap up into when you're cold to the bone. So somebody over understood will be the title of this um, episode. Just thought that'd be a nice little side note to throw in. So. Staying along the same lines, uh, I know this is a question that most people on here struggle with, not because it's necessarily deep, but because I'm asking you to pin down a favorite. And when it comes to Dave Matthews bands, I found that it is damn near impossible to get somebody to just say their favorite. And to be honest, it's the same with me too. If you ask me my favorite today, and you ask me my favorite tomorrow, it may not be the same, but we're going to try it anyway. So, uh, toughest question first. What is your favorite DMB song, and why is that your favorite one? Um, for, a, for a couple weeks, it was Dreaming Tree. And um, then it, it's been Gravedigger, and it's been Bartender. And it's been pig. I think at one point, oh, every song has been my favorite. But, um, you know, Sam told me we had a friend over and he's like, what are you listening to? And so, so we're going to play some, some Dave, Dave Matthews band for you. We want you to go to the concert with us. And so he was like, babe, pick your favorite song. I just kind of sat there and he said, I'm just going to play Gray Street because it's your favorite mo most often. And so it is typically, it comes up in the rotation more, um, I think, just because it was the first song that really got me hooked and because I can relate it to so many things in my life. Um, and even just yesterday, like Sam came home and I... He looked at me and said, what's wrong? And I just burst into tears. And he's like, whoa, hold on. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> and I said, I just, this happened and this happened and this happened. And it's just, it doesn't matter how hard I work. It doesn't matter what, I, what I'm doing. It's just ruined. Everything is just ruined. And he looked at me and said, you, did, you didn't ruin anything. And so um, that's how I felt. I felt like that girl who prayed and prayed and prayed and never saw um, anything and it eased quickly um, and I was able to 
calm myself down, uh, he, he calmed me by saying, well, I got, I got steak and I'm going to cook steak for dinner. And I was all better after that. But I would say at this moment, it's Gray Street, just because just yesterday I had that moment where I was like, the world is ending. And it wasn't, but I felt that way. Okay, well, staying in the same vein, um, and if you don't have an all-time favorite, that's fine. You can run with your current favorite, but what is your favorite lyric from the Dave Matthews Band, and why is that your favorite lyric? I do have an all-time favorite lyric, and my favorite lyric is from Pig, um, and it's, it's you and me, oh, this love will open our world. From the dark side, we can see the glow of something bright. And I initially listened to that song. And before I ever heard it, I decided I was going to like it because I love pigs. I collect stuffed pigs. I have begged for a pet pig. I still beg for a pet pig. Um, and so I was like, oh, it's, it's, it says pig. I have to listen to the song. And then when I sat down and listened to it, um, the first time I liked it. And then I, we went through some really dark times and just that line that from the dark side, we can see the glow of something bright, um, whether it was when we were separated or when you know I when I was finishing my degree I was student teaching um, which is a full-time job and still working part-time at Starbucks in the evening just to keep our insurance and same as a restaurant manager and his I think it was a week two into my 12-week student teaching and he lost his job his restaurant shut down immediately and he was our major breadwinner and I, di I didn't know what to do and I knew that we just needed to get through that season and that in the end it was it was going to be better if we pushed through together and it it was um and reflecting back on that time he he actually told me once he said I never realized how much you do I said, what do you mean? He said, well, I'm home all day with Benjamin was four at the time. He said, I'm home all day with our four-year-old and you're at school and you're teaching first grade and you come home and you cook dinner for us and you eat and then you change clothes and you go to Starbucks and then you come home and you clean up and then you go to bed. And he's like, and I just sit here and it never seems to phase you. Um, and we grew closer in, in a time where we could have grown further apart because he didn't work for three months. Uh, and he and Benjamin grew closer as well. So regardless of what we've gone through, regardless of what I go through in my life, I always go back to that, you know, with love, we can get through anything. Yeah, one thing about that lyric... Uh, whenever I hear it uh, from the dark side, we can see the glow of something bright. 
It's implied there that in order to see the bright thing, you have to be in a dark spot. So sometimes it can be to your advantage to be in a dark spot if you're looking for the light. Uh, sometimes you're never going to see that light unless you're in the dark. So that line has always been a good reminder when I'm going through something rough that it's it's okay to be going through something rough. It's the human experience. Uh, but what it's about at the end of the day is trying to find your source of light when you're in that darkness. And sometimes it can be hard to do, but it's the only way out. So whenever I'm going through a rough time, that lyric always comes to mind with that, that life lesson. Um, all right, so... We talked about your favorite song and what songs made you a fan. Um, talked about how you came into the fandom, so to speak. Kind of a random question here, but if you were to choose one song, and this time it needs to be one song, to sit down and let each man, woman, and child on the planet Earth hear one time, what song would you give as a gift to everybody to hear, and why would you give them that song? If I could only choose one, it would be Rhyme and Reason. And I have struggled with anxiety my entire life. Um, I It's just something I, I couldn't explain. I just, I can't get my, my mind to shut off. And I've always found ways to to cope with it and to just you know to deal with it like um I would tell Sam early on in our marriage I'd say I can't have hard conversations before I have to go to bed if you need to talk to me about money I need you to talk to me about it in the morning so that I can process all day long and my mind will turn off and it it didn't make sense to him because he doesn't struggle the same way I do And I never understood how to explain to him what that felt like. Um, and so when I, when I hear my mind won't leave my mind alone, I was able to tell him that's it, that that's how I feel. And he still didn't even get it. And so I ex explained to him when I, when I, after we, we lost Adam, I was having uncontrollable panic attacks and my, my doctor, I was going to counseling and I was doing grief therapy and I was doing all this. And my doctor finally said, it's, it's time that we need to look at medication. And, you know, and, and I went and I talked to Sam about it and he's like, what, you've never been medicated. What do you mean you need to look at medication? And I, I had to bring it back to that. I'm like, you don't understand. It just, it doesn't shut off. And if something happens, I think the worst is going to happen. And I've always been able to talk myself out of it. But when the worst possible thing that you can ever imagine happens, I can't talk myself out of it anymore. And so every time I listen to Rhyme and Reason, that's, I'm like, it it just perfectly describes 
that demon that so many people struggle with and I don't think that anybody can adequately describe what it feels like to have an anxiety attack or a panic attack and you know what works for one person doesn't work for another but that's the only time that I've ever been able to say just listen to this and you'll understand this is what's going on inside my body right now but I think the world needs more of that so that they'll understand so everybody will understand just the the different demons that everybody battles because everybody battles some kind of demon you know I've never thought of that song before as one that can be healing or could shed some light on like you said your demons whatever those may be um, it could give somebody perspective which is a pretty pretty great gift so that's definitely a unique answer but right on point i mean the logic is really really good with that um if the goal is to let people understand each other better which it should be so that's that's great so during our interviews we kind of go all over the radar we we dive deep we ask some life like questions uh, this is one that that can be a little daunting to answer. So what I want you to do is I want you to just sit back and take your time and you go into as much detail as you need to, um, or as little as you need to, depending on what it's called for. But I want you to think of the worst day of your life. Um, if you have one that sticks out, then explain to me how DMB's music either impacted that moment right then and there or maybe when you look back at that moment now there's a certain song that gives you some perspective um, the floor is yours the um the worst day in my life is easy and i don't i i don't think anything will ever top it um when when Sam and I met each other in 2002 and started dating, we actually knew each other from before. We grew up in the same church and we're in the same youth group and I, I sang in the choir. And so he knew who I was. We did meet in a, in a chat room, but he knew who I was when I told him my name. Um, and we started talking and I was 22 and he was 23 and he told me that he had he had a son from a previous relationship and um that's Adam and Adam I, I got to meet Adam actually pretty fairly early I think we'd been dating three months when I met him and that was he was my buddy when we were so incredibly close and I just never never imagined that I could love a child that I did not give birth to as, as much as I love him. Um, he was six when we got married. Um, and then we very quickly, after we got married, we had Benjamin. And Adam always told me that Benjamin was his birthday present because I found out I was pregnant with Ben the day before Adam's birthday. 
so he always said, oh, he was my birthday present. And um, they were inseparable, even being six and a half years apart. And we had, we've had a lot of ups and downs in our marriage. And in 2015, um, I think we had just been pushing things aside for too long and not wanting to rock the boat. <coughs> you know, we would be uh, very passive aggressive towards each other. Um, I then went to school with me. And so I, you know, was with Ben for 15 hours of the day and would come home and help him with his homework and cook dinner and we would eat and Sam would come home and he would eat and we just did everything separate. I would go in the bedroom and watch TV, Sam would stay in the living room and watch TV. We didn't really have real discussions. Everything was just on the surface and finally we got into an argument that just blew up because we had both just been holding everything in for so long and some things were said and we decided to separate but through that whole time he made sure he never kept Adam from me that Adam was a part of my heart and um, not being with Sam did not mean that I was not still Adam's stepmom so we had agreed to try a one-year separation and we realized that we were really good co-parents and we realized that we were getting our friendship back and we were kind of starting to um, figure things out a little. And in December of 2016, Adam got sick. Um, his mom took him to the doctor before Christmas and he had pneumonia. And I was able to see him on Christmas because even when we weren't together, we still opened presents together as a family, uh, me, Sam, Ben, and Adam. And before Adam got there, he said, um, you know, just to warn you, his mom called and said that he's pretty pale. I said, okay. And when Adam walked in the door, he was so pale that I actually physically took a step back when I saw him. He had no color in his face. His lips were pale. His gums had no color. And I said, something's wrong. This is not pneumonia. Benjamin came home the next day and said, Mom, Adam Adam couldn't do anything. He had to sleep all day. Something's wrong with my brother. And so we urged, uh, we voiced our concern and said, please take him back to the doctor. Um, and on December 29th, she took him back to the doctor for a checkup and they did a blood test and realized that his hemoglobin was dangerously low. So he was rushed to the emergency room where he received three blood transfusions. At that point, his liver was enlarged. He had nodules on his liver. He had nodules on his, on his lungs. They didn't know what was going on. They thought he had leukemia. They thought he might have lymphoma. So they ran all these tests and it was, it was a holiday weekend. New Year's Eve was a Saturday that year, I believe. And there wasn't a whole lot. It, it couldn't get done that quickly. And so they sent him home on Tuesday um, and then called and said, we need him to come back on Friday uh, because 
we we biopsied the cells in, in his liver and they are uh, they are cancerous. And so he went back in running a hundred and almost a hundred and four fever, had to stay in the hospital to get high dose chemo. He was by by that Saturday he was diagnosed with stage four gastric cancer. It was in his stomach, his liver, his lungs, and his esophagus, and he was seventeen years old. And the day they told us that he had cancer, I thought was the worst day of my life. And he did he did chemo, 12 treatments of chemo. And at one point they did a scan and the tumors in his stomach had shrunk and they weren't bleeding. And so he wasn't bleeding internally anymore. And he, he was gaining weight and he was laughing and joking and had such a great spirit about him. And that was January is when he was diagnosed and he turned 18 in February. And then in July, after his 12th treatment, he had to wait six weeks before any more treatment. And he was able to go on his Make-A-Wish trip. He was obsessed with the weather and wanted to go to, he wanted to go do the weather with Ginger on Good Morning America. And so he was able to do that and he was on TV and we got to see him and it was just amazing. Um, but when he came home, they did a scan and there had been no change. And everybody was, oh, great. It didn't get worse. And I kept thinking, but it didn't get better. We, we pumped him full of poison for months and it didn't get any better. And now he's not getting the medicine. So what is it doing now? And it did, it did get worse very quickly. Um, they decided on a, a treatment of high dose chemo and immunotherapy at the same time. Um, he was 18 at that point. So, um, you know, he was considered an adult. So he was getting adult doses of everything. We saw him on September 1st, and he looked fine. And two weeks later, I saw him. He was walking up to one of Ben's football games, and I could see him across the football field, and his his face was skinnier, and his stomach was distended. And I looked at Sam, and I said, what is that? And he said, it's his tumor. And I said, but two weeks ago, he was fine. And we kept, we, we kept being positive. We kept, you know, checking on Adam and, and we were very intentional with our conversations with him and made sure he knew exactly how we felt about him, how much we loved him and spent as much time with him as we could. And Benjamin um, and I had a conversation. We were driving down the road and I asked him, Benjamin was, about to be 12 um he turned 12 in september so that summer after we saw adam on good morning america i said buddy you told me that you pray for your brother every night what do you pray for and he got kind of quiet and he said well i pray for adam to be healed of cancer and i said okay what does that mean to you and he looked at me and he said, Mom, I know that it doesn't mean he's going to live. 
I pray for him to be healed. And I understand that if he is healed from cancer, that might mean he dies. Because when you go to heaven, you're healed. And I couldn't believe that my 11-year-old. I'm sorry. <laughs> let me let me jump in here. How How old was he again? He was 11, almost 12. Yeah, I honestly I can't imagine an 11 year old having that that amazing of a perspective. That's that's profound for a child. I hope you know that. Yeah, I, he blew me away. It was like, oh, okay. Well, I'm I'm glad you understand that. And so I I told him I said, this is what we're gonna do, buddy. We are going to make the most out of every single opportunity we have. And if Adam lives, then we have great memories. And if Adam dies, then we have great memories. And he said, okay, mom, because Ben's a planner. He needs a plan. And um, so he, I truly believe that Adam knew that, that he was getting worse. Um, he, he texted Ben on his birthday, the morning of his 12th birthday, September 29th and it said happy birthday bro I hope you know how much I love you and how proud of you I am I hope you have the best day ever and Ben read it and said that's the last birthday message I'll get from my brother I know it and oh buddy you know it's your birthday. Enjoy your day. You know, don't don't focus on that. And um, we we saw him a couple more times. My birthday is October twenty second, and Adam was going to be out of town, so he came to one of Ben's football games, and we were the four of us were going out to lunch. And I have this amazing picture of the two of them um, at the restaurant. And I have an iPhone, so it's a it's a live photo, and it's it's my um, it's my lock screen, so I can push it and I can see the two of them moving. Um, he was so skinny; he was almost unrecognizable. He was popping muscle relaxers like they were nothing because he was in so much pain but he never complained he had this huge smile on his face and we had just the best day and when he got home that night he texted me and Sam and he said thank you so much for today I really just enjoyed all four of us being together and I thought to myself why is he thanking us I mean he's the one that drove all the way down and he lived about 20 minutes from us he drove down and he, he spent the day with us and he made it so important. And so um, during the month of October, he was also having to receive blood transfusions because his tumor was in his stomach lining. He had two tumors in his stomach and they were um, actually eating through his stomach lining and he was bleeding internally. So he was having to get blood transfusions along with his chemo and his immunotherapy and he just kept losing weight. And I think from September 1st to the end of October, he'd probably lost 65 pounds. And for a kid that didn't weigh much to begin with, um, there was there was no no fat left on his face. Um, you could clearly see the bones in his face. And 
he messaged me. I, I texted him on, on Friday night, is October 27th, and I said, hey, buddy, I heard you had good news this week. And he said, yeah, I didn't need any blood. Um, I said, that's awesome. That's what we've been waiting for. Did you go to your game tonight? And he said, no, it was too cold. The cold's hard for me, but I'll be, I'll be at Ben's game tomorrow. And I said, well, buddy, you know, nobody's going to be upset if you miss it. And he said, no, the sun will be shining. I'll be there. And I said, okay. And I told him I loved him. And the next, the next day, Ben's game was at like 5.30. And so I got up and had kind of a lazy morning. Um, I was actually going to celebrate my birthday that night. I had a birthday party scheduled with, with my friends. Um, I had just laid down to take a nap. I had talked to some friends that morning and told them, you know, the good news about Adam and, you know, the, the medicine was working. He didn't need any blood. So the tumor was, was working, you know, shrinking. And I was so excited and I laid down to take a nap and my phone rang and it was Sam. And I almost didn't answer because Sam does not call me when he's at work. And it was a Saturday morning around lunchtime and they had a cheerleading competition going on next door to his restaurant. So I knew they were, he, he hates, he hates cheer weekends. So there's no reason that he would be calling me, but I answered and he asked if I was home and wouldn't tell me what was wrong. He just said he was coming over. So I, I knew what he was coming to tell me. Um, and so I tried to make myself busy. I mean, I think that was the longest six minutes of my life for him to get the two miles to my house and I saw him standing out front and I walked out there and he had his back to me and I I walked down to the end of the street or to the end of the sidewalk and when he turned around he had on his sunglasses and when he turned around I saw this single tear fall and he said he's gone and I argued. I no, I just talked to him. Ben has a game today. He's gonna be here. He can't no. He didn't need blood on Wednesday. He can't be gone. And he he did not suffer. Um he had either a massive heart attack or a pulmonary pulmonary embolism as a result of the chemo um and and so he didn't suffer at all I mean he he went quickly um by the time that ambulance got there they couldn't revive him but I that is that is a pain that I don't think any parent should ever feel or any person should ever feel. And that, that was always my worst case scenario, that something would happen to one of my kids and, um, you know, his his funeral was, was beautiful. His service was amazing and people, nobody could say a negative thing about Adam. Um, he just was the kindest, friendliest child in the world. And we, you know, we had to tell Ben and, and we did that together. And, 
Um, I remember very little of the rest of that day. But I always think of, whenever I I hear two-step, I think of Adam because his life was definitely short. He was 18 years old when he he died. And um, he had... It's like he tried, I swear he knew he wasn't going to live a very long life because he just, the way that he made people feel when he was here, it just, you knew how much he cared and how much he loved you. And he was, he was premature. He was born 32 weeks early. He spent, uh, born at 32 weeks. He spent two months in NICU. When he was four months old, he stopped breathing while eating. When When he was two, he grabbed a knife from the table and sliced his hand open. When he was six, he was hospitalized because he had a... I mean, it was just one thing after another, and he had overcome so much. And his... Everything that he did had a purpose, and he lived his life so purposefully. And so I'm able to now two and a half years out um i'm able to reflect on that and and when i hear those words i i'm like it's just a reminder to me that you know i need to i need to live like adam did i need to make sure that the people in my life know exactly how i feel about them because tomorrow isn't promised and um it it doesn't it doesn't make me sad to reflect on his life because when I think about it in those terms of life is short but sweet for certain uh, he had a sweet life and he definitely made our lives better and yes it's sad and yes I miss him every day Um, but he is our sunshine and I actually have a picture Um, Benjamin wore his number number 63 the first year after Adam died when he played middle school ball he wore 63 and the first time Ben stepped on field in his brother's number I snapped it just a ton of pictures and I went back and looked at him later and there's the very first picture there's a beam of sunlight just coming through the clouds and it is shining perfectly on Benjamin and none of the other pictures have this random beam of sunlight and um, I didn't see it when I took the picture I only saw it when I looked back and I showed it to Ben after the game and he said mom that's Adam he told you the sun will be shining I'll be there that's how I know Adam is with me and so we we uh, I, I blew that picture up and put it on a canvas and it hangs it hangs in our dining room um, right next to we have like a collage of pictures and it's, it's Sam and the boys um, and then me and the boys on the same day um, and then it has Benjamin wearing Adam's number and then it has Benjamin like a close up shot of him wearing Adam's number and then Ben standing on the field with the the rainbow coming through and the, the sunshine coming through so you know I try to always remember that you know even when it's short 
we can still have purpose in our life. You know, full disclosure here, this is the second time that I'm hearing Mary Jane's story. And I guess it's the third time, technically, because I heard an abridged version from Sam. But even on the second or third time hearing it, it still hits me just as hard and makes me realize that in comparison, the things that I think I'm going through that cause heartache or stressful, they are just a drop in the bucket compared to what somebody else may have went through or are currently going through. So it's an amazing perspective. But um, so we have a surprise. Sam decided he was going to give us something to read to Mary Jane um, right after she shared this story. So here is what Sam had to say um, to Mary Jane. Throughout our relationship, we've had mostly great times, but some really dark, horrible times. Through it all, you have always been there for me, Adam, and Ben when we needed you the most. You're the best wife, mom, and partner I could ever ask for. There will be more great times and maybe some not so great times ahead of us, but know that I love you more than anything and we'll get through whatever comes our way. With that surprise, Sam is going to listen to this episode at some point and he doesn't know the content yet. So is there anything you would like to say to Sam for when he listens to this podcast? That's, um, he's, he's so good at expressing himself through words. <laughs> it just, he leaves me in awe every time. Um, Benjamin is was supposed to get confirmed last month and on his confirmation retreat we they urged us to write letters to him and I wrote mine and I mean I, I teach reading for a living like I, I'm good at writing and then I read his and I was like holy cow <laughs> I love the way he expresses himself um Sam is the most incredible human being in the world um when I when I started my new job, these people they didn't know me, they didn't know my history, they didn't know that Sam and I had just worked things out after a three year separation. Um, and they would, you know, we were stuck in an office together during the summer working on projects, and they talked to us and and asked questions. And I had one girl ask me, she said, "How long have you been married?" And I said, "13 years." She said, and you still love your husband that much? I said, yes, I do. I still love him that much because, gosh, he just, he would do anything for anybody. And he's so strong and so supportive of everything, whether it's some silly notion I have or 
you know, I wanted plants on the patio. And so he spent his day off going and picking out the perfect plants with me and, and building plant hangers. And he always makes sure, always makes sure that I have gummy bears. And when my bag gets low, he stops the store and he buys me more. Yesterday, when I had my little mini breakdown, his response after saying, everything's going to be okay. I've got this. You know, I'm, I'm going to take care of this for you. He said, baby, don't cry. I'm making steak for dinner. Because he knows me. <laughs> he knows that the way to my heart is through my stomach. Um, all is right with the world when you feed me. And I just, he's, he's so smart and he's so funny. And I, I tell him all the time that I just feel so lucky that he every day chooses to do life with me. Um, and I, I do, I feel so incredibly lucky to have a partner that is so willing to do those little things because I don't need the big grand gestures. He knows me and he knows that those little things they matter the most and and it it can be so small and stupid like I cannot watch the episode of Grey's Anatomy when Derek Shepard dies sorry if that was a spoiler for anybody spoiler it happened alert. like six years ago it was it's old it's six years old but <laughs> we watch Grey's Anatomy every we just will watch it start to finish that was our show and I'll tell them, I'm like, um, we either need to start over or you need to skip forward or play that episode when I'm asleep. And he's like, honey, you have seen it a million. I'm like, I can't do it. Or when, when Derek Morgan in Criminal Minds gets kidnapped, I can't do it. I tell him, you got to skip. And he'll, he does it. He says, okay, well, I'll put on a different show and I'll play it after you fall asleep. And it seems so silly, but those are the things he does to, to keep me happy. And I don't think a lot of people... Um, are lucky enough to have that and I, I wish everybody did because she is amazing he just stopped he stopped at home before our call because um, he knew I was going to be on back to back calls so he he stopped and brought me a drink and you know checked on me and then made fun of me because before he left for work he said don't forget I put a bagel in the oven for you and I forgot so he had to make fun of the brick that was at one time a bagel in the oven. <laughs> and, you know, he didn't get mad. He's just like, so what'd you do? I said, I ate a bagel that was untoasted. And he just laughed at me. He's just amazing. I think that's the only word that describes him. So staying on this end of the spectrum, we've asked you about the worst day of your life. And to keep it light as we start to close out the interview, I want you to think of the best day of your life. And if there was a DMB song that either impacted it directly or looking back at it now, a song gives it some perspective. So what would that day be? The, the best day of my life has always been the day we got married. We got married on June 18th. 2005 um, and we are both Catholic but I am half Vietnamese 
So while a Catholic wedding is typically really long, a Vietnamese Catholic wedding is even longer. And um, my grandmother was still alive, and I knew that she wanted me to have a traditional Vietnamese wedding. So it started, I mean, my day started at like 5.30 in the morning, and, and it ended really late. Um, I actually fell asleep before I ate dinner on our wedding night. Sam thought it was hilarious. He looked over in the recliner, and I was out cold. Um, but we had pre-planned all of the music that was going to be uh, at our at our wedding and you know I, I was like the opposite of Bridezilla it was just whatever happens happened uh, he actually almost overslept for our wedding um, I hadn't heard from him and I called my brother and I said I need you to go and wake him up <laughs> he made it on time everybody made it on time but um, it, there were a couple minutes that were a little scary after I got to the church for pictures, they realized they forgot my veil. The boys had to bring it. Um, the AC in our church went out just over the altar. So poor Sam is just sweating buckets and and I'm sweating. And uh, my niece's heel got caught on my veil and you see my whole head jerk back. And the, and I we laughed about everything and we just kind of went with the flow. And so... We we get to the reception and we're just having a blast. And initially, he had chosen uh, the dance as the last song of our wedding. And at some point, um, I mean, we had karaoke. We it was it was amazing. I only know that because I can go back and watch the video because I don't remember that long ago. But he came up to me at one point and he said, "Babe." I want to change the last song. I said, okay, what do you want to change it to? And he's like, just, just wait. I said, okay. And so, um, when the last song came on, it was, he changed it to where are you going? And I just laughed because, you know, he's like, it's just perfect. It has to end that way. It has to end that way. And I said, okay, whatever you want. And so the last song in our wedding was where are you going? Um, and that was just always my favorite moment. And I didn't, you know, the, the birth of my, everybody says the birth of your child is your favorite moment, but that hurt. So seeing Ben for the first time was pretty awesome, but it was painful at, at the same time. So they kind of outweigh each other. But when, when Sam and I got back together, when we started talking about getting back together, he didn't believe me. I told him for like, six months hey let's try and work it out hey let's try and work it out um he'd ask me did you fall for divorce yet and I'm like no he was in a relationship I was in a relationship with someone else um never even filled out the paperwork and I always had an excuse and so finally he said well why not I said I, I don't want to I don't, I don't want to get divorced and he just kind of looked at me and I said I, I want to see if we can work this out and so um during that phase that time where we were talking and trying to figure if we could get through everything I saw that DMB was coming to town I knew that Sam had not been able to go to a show in close to 20 years so I asked a, a, my friend's husband who worked with me so what do you think I mean it's a Saturday he might not be able to get off work and it's graduation season so they're going to be busy and he said buy the ticket 
the man will find a way to get off work. Just buy the tickets. And so I, I bought them and he found a way to get off work. And we, we went to the concert together and, um, we were, we were standing on the lawn and the, the sun hadn't set yet. It was probably the second song. And I turned around and looked at him and he had this look of pure joy on his face. And he wasn't, he wasn't a man who just lost his child. He wasn't a man who was trying to fix his marriage. He wasn't, he was just a, he was just a guy enjoying himself. And I had not seen him that happy in so long. And that made, that was my first concert. So that made the whole experience so much better for me. And I, we actually have copies of the set list. Um, I have one on my desk and we have one in our, in our living room. And every time I, I look at that, we took a picture there that night. And every time I look at it, that's what I think of is that that look of pure joy on his face. And so we said we are going to make it a yearly tradition. We went back the next year. Uh, we missed half the concert because Benjamin played in the um, state championship game for football. Um, so we missed half of it. It poured down rain. We were muddy and disgusting by the end, but we had a blast. Um, and then they weren't coming to Dallas this year, so we bought tickets for Arkansas where my brother lives and we were going to drive to Arkansas. So we kept our tickets and for next year and uh, the 2021 tour, he's added a stop in Dallas. So Benjamin will actually go to his first Dave Matthews band concert with us next year. Well, I'm sure that's going to be, be an amazing experience for him. Um, all right, so one thing we do on the podcast is we kind of take the opinion of our guests to help use it to guide which way we're growing with DMB on Demand. Three months ago, um, we weren't really doing much at all, and then we started getting back daily with the song of the day, and then with the designs and artwork, there was a request for a shop, so we built a shop with the designs. Then from that grew this podcast when I wanted to get to know as many people's stories as possible. And the more I did that, the more I loved it. So it grew. So who knows what's going to come up in the next three months. We could be doing the same thing, but better. We could be doing something drastically different. Um, it's kind of growing in like a weed. When a plant grows, you can pretty much anticipate how that plant is going to grow. But when a weed comes in, it grows wherever it wants. And uh, so in the best way possible, this is sort of growing like a weed. So we ask the people that come on for their perspective to help guide us on how we take our next steps. So curious as to what DMB on Demand means to you specifically, Mary Jane, and what you'd like to see more of. Um, I, uh, just started really using Twitter a lot this year. Well, last year when I started working for Dallas, um, they're real heavy on Twitter. And so I had asked Sam for his help. Will you, will you help me, um, 
you know, figure this out. And so he had come home and he was like, Hey, I, I follow, I follow these people on Twitter and I keep talking about the gorge. And I think, you know, we, we need to go to the gorge sometime. And so that, that's kind of how it got started. And he's like, you need to go, let's create a, a personal Twitter for you. One that you don't use for work. And he said, okay, you need to follow this person and this person and this person. And I was like, oh, okay. And so, you know, I, I follow it and he's like, oh, you'll, you'll love, you need to follow. Haley was the first person he told me to follow. He's like, you will love her. Um, and so then he came home and he said, hey, um, you need to follow DMB on demand on Twitter. And I said, okay, why? And he goes, well, just, there's, there's songs and um, there's just all this stuff. He goes, and, and he just started a podcast. And there's only been a couple episodes, but I know you like podcasts. So, so let's listen to it. Um, he's so excited. I love it when he gets excited about things. It's just adorable. So I did. I, I followed you and I looked through stuff and said, oh, look, there's a store. And so we, we looked at the store and I was like, oh, wow, this is, this is really cool. There's so much selection. Um, and now that y'all are on Etsy, I mean, before you were on Etsy, you would, if you went in and, and typed up Dave Matthews Band on Etsy, the same things, it was like the same five things that came up. And so um, at least three times a week, Sam is sending me something that he found on the store and he's like oh isn't that neat uh I, I think I'd like that and I'm like okay I understand your birthday's coming up um <laughs> so we we loved that aspect of it before we ever even listened to the podcast and so it was a beautiful night one night we sat down we hooked up the the speaker to his phone and we listened to the first one we listened to Jesse and I've that I've I've never that was so amazing. His story is so amazing. And I said, Oh my god, oh my gosh, please tell me that's not the only one. He's like, No, there's there's like three so far. And so we listened, we we listened to them all. I think that night. We just we didn't watch T V, we didn't speak, we just put that speaker between us and just listened. Um and then we talked about it afterwards and I said, that is amazing because I am an avid podcast listener and I, I told, I told Sam, I said, I just, I feel so connected to everybody. That night we listened to, to Jesse and we listened to Haley and we listened to, um, oh my gosh, who was the third one? I can't even remember off the top of my head now. I think um, I think the third one was Michelle. No, it was a guy. Oh, Ryan. Ryan. Yes, it was Ryan. Yep. And we had actually like gone on Twitter and mentioned them and told them we were listening. And this started this big like play argument between Haley and Ryan. And I was cracking up. And I said, honey, is this for real? He's like, that's just what happens. Like, you become this family. And so all of a sudden, like, I'm learning how to use Twitter because I listen. Like, I've gotten really good in the last couple weeks because, you know, Haley sends stuff. And I'm just like, oh, well, did, did you see this? And 
I got tagged in a post by Haley, and Sam did not. And I felt like I was the queen of the world. Like, look at this. She tagged me in this. And he's like, I didn't get anything. And I'm like, I don't know. Sucks to be you. So I love, that's my favorite part. It's just that connection. Every single person that has been on the podcast, I feel like I know them. And um, I was telling Sam the other day, I said, how cool would it be if like everyone that's been on the podcast all met at the Gorge and just hung out at the concert. So um, like, I think that should be like an exclusive perk that if you've, if you've been, if, if you've been on the, on the show that everyone gets to meet up um, and plan a trip to go, to go to a concert because I mean, that's, that's the most fun I've ever had is going to a Dave concert. <laughs> that's why we want to take Ben, but we said he had to be closer to 16 before we took him. But. So it's that human connection is just amazing. So um, I love hearing the story. Um, and I know that I just, I, I even told Sam the other day, oh, now they're on Apple Podcasts. Let me go in there and rate them. I'm like, I know you don't listen to, to Google Podcasts, but go on there and rate it so that more people will see it more people will hear it because it's, it's so amazing uh what you do and how I can relate to somebody who I've never met who lives thousands of miles away from me is 20 years younger than me or um I think Michelle's story I think I had to pull over and and I just I had to sit for a minute um and wait because it just I connected with it so much and and Ryan I was laughing so hard I was crying during his you just bring out so many emotions and and I think that's what Dave Matthews music does too it just brings out every emotion (laughs) so it's it's amazing I'd love to see a big group meet of people from DMV on demand though I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility um Something I would enjoy too, obviously. So, um, hey, listen, one of the last questions I have for you is if you were sitting in a room with a couple couches and the band was there and you had, you know, a minute or two to sit and, and talk to them, what would you tell them? I'd probably pass out first. Um, and then, and then when I woke up, I would first of first of all, I would thank them for for saving my marriage, for saving my sanity, um, in the darkest moments of my life. I've been able to listen to the music and feel like somebody heard me, that they understood me that I, I wasn't the only one dealing with this. And just the silliness of, you know, I mean, I, I had a, a horrible day yesterday and was just, I had so much stuff and I was so stressed. And so before I went to bed, I was scrolling through Twitter and I, I, I think Haley posted the, the intro to the the drive-in and I was laughing so
so hard at Dave's intro to the the drive-in and I mean I just I, I would love to just sit and, and talk to them about you know where they how they come up their music and just be in awe of them and even trying to connect with Ben when he started playing when he started playing the trombone I played the violin so I don't know anything about band instruments so I, I found um a recording of, of Dave and Trombone Shorty playing together at a school in New Orleans and then and then Ben was hooked on Trombone Shorty and then he was like who's that guy and um Ben is very formal he he calls him David Matthews and we correct him and say he just goes by Dave but um I would I I, I would just want to tell them how much of an impact they make on so many people I don't think I don't think they can possibly comprehend how much their music impacts the world. So that's actually a good segue into my final question. Imagine you were talking with somebody who knew nothing about the music of the Dave Matthews band. If you had to explain to them what the overall message is behind all of the music when you put it into a blender and turn it on, how would you explain what the core message of the music is and what is the core message? Celebrate is the word that always, that just pops right into my my brain. Just celebrate. Celebrate life. Celebrate your struggles. Celebrate your blessings. Even even when it's hard, even when it's dark, even when it seems impossible, just celebrate. Even Gravedigger, as, as dark as it seems on the surface, when you get down to the core of it, it's it's still celebrating. You know the 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 lyric when you dig my grave, make it shallow so I can feel the rain. That that's still a celebration. Okay, I I, I died, but I still want to feel things. And I don't think that there is a song that I have heard that I can't find that message through, and 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 that goes along with just loving people loving people for their differences, loving people regardless, loving yourself, loving yourself enough to be serious and silly and goofy and, and stand up for what you believe in and um, that you don't have to be exactly the, the same to have something in common. You can still love each other. And if you've, we, we told Sam's best friend that he needs to go to a concert with us. And he's like, well, I don't really know the music. It doesn't matter you go to a concert and it's an experience that you'll never experience every single person it's just it's unreal I mean there's I've been to so many concerts we go to concerts at that same venue every year and you know and people get mad because you're sitting too close to their blanket it's not like that as a Dave Matthews band concert 
I mean, everybody's dancing, everybody's laughing. You bump into someone and it's okay. Um, it's, it's just amazing. And, and it's all about, to me, it is all about celebrating the things that you have in your life. Good, bad, indifferent. I think that's a great, great summary of it, to be honest with you. So the last thing we do for our guests when they're on for an episode is we kind of just give the platform over to them to let them talk about what they think the world needs to hear more of. So maybe how to find you on social media, um, shout outs to any people that you want to give a shout out to, any organizations or charities that are near and dear to your heart, whatever it is you want to talk about. Uh, take your time, and the floor is yours. I am um, not as active on Twitter. I, I am way more active on Twitter than, than I ever was before, but my personal Twitter is Gary 2 with two R's. Um, I am way more active on Facebook, but... Um, I think I think my Facebook name is Janie.Gary or something like that. I'm, I'm not real sure. Um, but, of course, obviously, the man who brought me into this world uh, of Dave Matthews Band followers uh, is Sam, my amazingly handsome, talented husband. And he his Twitter handle is SEGary78. And... Anybody that has been on that that's been on the podcast, it they are so amazing. I mean, I follow, you know, I'll hear it. I'm like, oh, I need to go follow that person. I need to go follow that person. Um, Jesse is amazing. Ryan is amazing. Um, Michelle, Haley, they're just all. It's you could I could just sit and listen to any of them talk and so when they post something I'm like oh well let me go read this because to me it's, it's relevant um DMB Mamas um Benjamin is on Twitter he draw he's a talented artist uh it's Ben draws art one and he he does uh videos of speed drawing and all that others I don't know what he does he puts pictures that he's drawn he's very good I can't draw a stick figure so he didn't get it from me but as far as charities go, the Make-A-Wish Foundation, they, they, really, they really made Adam's dreams come true. In the last few months of his life, he, he loved Good Morning America. And he was able to, to not just go and meet them. He did the morning wake-up call with Ginger. And he did the weather with Ginger. Shouted out his, his football team. He did a, a segment on the show. He was sitting front row. Um, they took him through hair and makeup. And um, there was no limit to what they would do to just put a smile on his face. And they do that for so many kids all around the world. I think that's so important. But as an educator and the daughter of an educator... <laughs> Um, 
there's a couple of things with education that I think are important. One that I think um, people need to do their research when when it comes time to vote for different things. A lot of things are hidden. Um, just actually do your research and see where your tax dollars are going and, and how it's affecting education. And to I would encourage everyone to just advocate for keeping fine arts in school. So many programs have been cut and I, I was in orchestra from the sixth grade until I graduated. Sam was in band and jazz band and went to college on a, on a saxophone scholarship. And um, Benjamin is talented at everything he does, but has chosen band for high school over, over athletics. And it's, it's just because it just brings so much out, even with art class and drawing. So I hate to see fine arts being taken out of school because sometimes kids don't have a voice and they can find their voice through music or they can find their voice through art. And, you know, I, I work with kids in really tough situations and sometimes they can't verbalize what's happening to them or the struggles that they're going through. And But they can do that through art and through music. So please advocate to keep fine arts in education. Okay, well, that does it for our interview this week. Just want to say thank you for coming on and being so open and transparent. It, it takes, a, uh, takes some vulnerability to come on to any podcast, really, that tries to scratch beneath the surface and hear about the best and worst times of your life. It's, it's not something that's easy to do by any means. So uh, thank you for coming on. And like I said, being so thoughtful and transparent, I enjoyed interviewing Sam. Uh, it was a pleasure to interview you. And I'm, I'm looking forward to sitting down for the first three-person interview um, here in a little while when we break down our song. So um, stick around. I'll be sharing a story that has some similar themes to uh, the interview and the topics that were discussed. And again, this story was picked out before I knew anything about Mary Jane's story. So it, it really does highlight what we're doing here and finding our commonality. So this week's story is one that I've been thinking about for quite some time. And I decided that I would share it on this episode before I knew what the content of the episode and the interview would be. So you're going to hear some parallel themes with this story and the interview. Those were unplanned and not prepared. It just goes to show you how even when we feel like our situations are isolated and we're alone, that's not the case. We have this bind 
through the music that we know and love. And knowing that we have that similar soundtrack brings me a lot of peace. And frankly, it makes me want to be better to each other. Anyway, I just wanted to note that the story today and in the parallels that you hear weren't planned. It's just a good microcosm of what we're trying to explore here. So today's story is based around some lyrics from Deed is Done. I'm going to read the lyrics that apply to the story and then share the story and then I'll read the lyrics again. And you can see after hearing them just how well they fit. The lyrics go, and I pray my prayers not heard. Could it be your death, death to mortal words? And see her pain and drain and drain. Could you be deaf and blind, my friend? And so we hold, can you not hear? Can you not see? And if with words you could change the way things are arranged, surely you'd be speaking, speaking no change. But the girl, deaf, dumb, and blind, from the cancer burning deep down inside, but the deed is done, and the girl is gone, and I see no faith that I have won. Growing up, I was a devout Catholic. Even as a young man, I got it. I understood what was going on. I understand the gravity of the sacraments. I was an altar boy. I knew what it meant to be helping at mass each Sunday. I knew I was contributing to something bigger than myself, bigger than all of us. So one year I was asked by Father Mel to serve midnight mass. Father Mel is one of those people who, when you meet them, you just want more time with them. He lifts you up when he speaks to you. It's like nobody else in the world exists to him. He's right there with you. He is full of love, more love than we could have ever known. And he's just a great person, excellent priest. So when he asked me to serve mass for midnight mass, I was honored. Midnight mass is exactly how it sounds. On Christmas Eve at midnight, you have mass to celebrate Christmas coming in. It's a lot more ceremony, pomp and circumstance than your normal mass would have. It's a pretty big thing for Catholics, especially ones that, you know, want to celebrate early. And when I say celebrate, I mean celebrate the birth of, of Jesus Christ. So Saturday came and I was a little bit nervous about serving mass for midnight mass, but my mom helped me, um, kept my confidence up. And we got to church and 
again, the pomp and circumstance is over the top. Just, it's amazing. And uh, we got prepared. You know, we got everything ready. We got the bread wafers, the wine, the books, the cloths, the chalices. Got everything ready and prepped behind the scenes for Mass. Behind the scenes means there's this solid partition that sits to the right of the altar. And that's where we keep all the things that we bring out and take back. The bowls, the plates, the wine glasses, the books. It's where everything's set up for quick access. And so Mass was going along just fine. A lot of beautiful hymns. And then it came time to um, conse consecrate the Eucharist, the, the bread and the wine. Catholics believe that once this ceremony, this consecration is done, that that becomes the flesh and blood of Christ. They draw this belief because in the Bible, Jesus would speak in parables and analogies. And he would always break those down for the people he was speaking to. If what he meant wasn't on the surface, he would explain to the people that were there. Except when he talked about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. Not once does he break it down and say, okay guys, what I really mean is take the bread and wine and, and remember it as flesh. No, no. He said flesh and blood and didn't deviate off of that course. So Catholics believe that once that ceremony is done, that is the flesh and blood of the Savior of the world on that altar. So back to Midnight Mass, the priest had consecrated the Eucharist and the wine and I was going to pick up the book that is used to read the prayers um, over the bread and wine. Mind you, all the wine glasses on the altar are filled up and ready to go. Uh, and when I grabbed one, I turned wrong and my left elbow hit one of the chalices, one of the wine glasses, and it crashed to the floor spilled everywhere and I lost my shit like I said I was a devout Catholic to me I knew that I didn't just spill wine I just spilled the blood of Christ on his birthday there were gasps in the church because everybody else believed the same thing and I beelined to behind that partition I was crying, red in the face, shaking, and Father Mel could have easily, A, went on with Mass, B, tended to the spilled blood at the foot of the altar, C, tended to the congregation and let them know it was all right, but he went with D. Option D was to come back behind that screen, behind that partition, and get on his knees and talk to me in a way that calmed me down. And I told him he needed to get back out and finish mass. And he said he wasn't doing anything unless I was out there with him. It took the man 10 minutes 
to get me calmed down and unashamed. And, you know, I was able to walk back out and finish mass. I felt a lot of eyes on me and not so friendly eyes, but I didn't care because Father Mel had my back and we finished out mass and that was it. Uh, so that's the kind of person Father Mel is. That's what I wanted to lay the foundation as to what kind of a heart he has. So like I said, he was loved by everybody. Absolutely loved by everybody. And he was our priest. A lot of Catholic churches have priests come and go. They'll be there for, you know, three, four, five years, and then they get moved to another parish and somebody else comes in. Uh-uh. Not not in this small town, not with our Father Mel. He was there for a long time. Um, I think people would have fought to keep him there. And, uh, so anyway, one, one day, I am um, an altar boy at Mass, and I come back after Mass, and I'm putting up the robe that I was wearing, and, you know, cleaning everything up, and everything going, and I came and gave Father Mel a hug goodbye for the day, and and uh, he always did this thing. If, if you asked for a hug, he would give you your hug and then he would trace a cross on your forehead with his thumb. Just a little blessing, just a, a little blessing that was, um, it was just something that made him him. Um, so I left and didn't know that that would be the last time I saw Father Mel for quite some time. Things were about to go crazy. So I come into church a couple days later, and there's no Father Mel anywhere. So I go looking in the office, you know, I go look in the sacristy, and I'm, I'm looking for him, I just want to say hi can't find him so I go and talk to the secretary and the secretary seemed a little unnerved but said that that they haven't heard from Father Mel since the previous Sunday and there was no information there was no nothing and by the time mass came around again the next weekend there was an interim priest there we thought maybe he would have some information but, but he had no information our priest our father just up and vanished and nobody knew what the reason was or if he was okay or whatever the case may be so life went on with this huge question mark where he used to sit in my memory and one day i'm at sam's club shopping with my mom and he was a chain smoker, so he had that chain smoker voice. And we're walking down the aisle, and I hear his voice. And this lady walks by me with her cart, and this little blonde boy walks by me and goes up and turns the corner to the left. And now I'm beelining up to the end of the aisle so I can go around and see who I think is Father Mel. It's been years. <clears throat> Come around the corner and there he is blonde hair blue-eyed father mel and there was a mini version of him blonde hair blue-eyed mini father mel <laughs> and 
I didn't know what to say or what to do. I just walked up to him. He had a huge smile on his face and he gave me a hug like somebody you hug that you haven't seen in years. And I was in tears at this point. And I didn't know what to ask him. I had so many questions, uh, but mostly I just wanted to know that he was okay. And he was, he was okay. But that man had went through some pretty serious shit since the time that I saw him last. So it turns out Father Mel, when he was in the seminary, fell in love. Now he didn't continue this relationship in his priesthood. He didn't violate his vows, but he fell in love when he was in the seminary. And it turns out she got pregnant. I guess before he finished the seminary, he wanted to drop out and get another job. But she said, no, this is clearly what you've been called to do. You need to pursue it. You help us when you can, how you can, and we'll help you be able to follow your calling to be a priest. And so that's what he did. Financially, you know, priests do draw a salary. He helped her out and, and the boy out as much as he could. He gave them as much time as he could without it raising any red flags. And that was his life. He had a congregation of people he loved and he had a woman that he fell in love with in the seminary and had a child and his heart was always split. Turns out that even though he was a phenomenal priest, he carried that guilt around with him of not doing what he thought was the right thing. But no matter, this is the way life went for him for many years. And then we found out after talking to him later, not at Sam's Club that day, but we had dinner with him about a week later, found out that before he left, um, the woman he fell in love with was diagnosed with stage four cancer. And it was terminal. So for the past year at that point, he was wrestling with the fact that, you know, she's terminal with cancer. I don't know what to do. I have this boy who can't lose his mother and not have his father in his life. Don't know what to do. So I guess he, he called uh, the bishop, Bishop Darcy at the time. And he told the bishop exactly what happened, what happened while he was in seminary, what happened with the woman falling ill, what happened with the boy, and asked what he should do. And the bishop told him, I'm not paraphrasing here, the child is a bastard. Put him up for adoption and live your calling. I didn't know it at the time. But that was the moment that I lost my faith in Catholicism and lost my faith in general 
when it comes to God. But it was the same moment that I found my faith in basic human love. As Father Mel, when hearing this from his bishop, his spiritual father, chose to go the other way. This was on a Friday. Sunday, two days from then, is the day he disappeared. That man decided to choose his son over his calling. That man chose to choose love and obligation over God. That man just made a decision that makes me want to be a better person. This priest who fell in love but followed his calling and then has a child and then that woman gets sick with cancer and his spiritual father tells him to put the boy up for adoption but he chooses to, to leave with no career and no plan but he had to leave because if he didn't leave nobody would be a parent for that boy and that boy would go to the foster home and he just wouldn't have it that's the kind of man I want to be so going back to the lyrics, I'll read it one more time as I close out, and now you'll be able to understand a little bit more about why this lyric hits me so hard and hits so close to home. And I pray, my prayer's not heard. Could it be your deaf, deaf to mortal words, and see her pain and drain and drain? Could you be deaf and blind, my friend? And so we hold, can you not hear? Can you not see? And if with words you could change the way things are arranged, surely you'd be speaking, speaking no change. But the girl, deaf, dumb, and blind, and the cancer burning deep down inside, but the deed is done and the girl is gone. And I see no faith that I have won.